Hey, hey, welcome to the Central Westland Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for downloading and thank you for listening. We hope that today you find God's Word to be encouraging, challenging, and inspiring your life today. We would love to connect with you through our Facebook page and Instagram page. All you got to do is look on Facebook or Instagram and search for Central Westland Church. Please know that we love you, we're praying for you, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. Good morning, guys. I'm so glad to be in the house with you guys this morning. If you're glad to be in the house this morning, say amen. Listen, these guys, all these other staff members that are part of this family that Jern was referring to, they give me way too much credit. Okay, I was at Foster Street this morning, uh, and I was going to take up the offering, and all of a sudden, Jam starts to do the announcements, and he's like, this man over here knows everything about young adults, because we're starting up a young adult ministry over there at, the, at Foster Street. Uh, welcome to all, of course, between roughly after high school and about 30 years old, so if you're in that age group, meet us over there tomorrow night, 6.30. Regardless, he says, I have all the information. So he tells me to stand up, take off my mask, give the people a smile. He's calling me good looking and all this stuff. Like these guys give me way too much credit. And honestly, I have no idea what to think about it. But uh, I've had a couple experiences over here with you guys at Central. I'm very thankful for you guys. Um, I've been over here and I've sat through a couple of sermons. I've actually been in a couple videos like like made a little appearance. I think one time, if you watched it, I, I sung a line to a, a musical that I was supposed to be in. I'm actually not in that musical anymore, thank God. I was going to ruin it. But uh, yeah, I've been involved a little bit. I, I went around and passed out some flowers with Jern one time. Maybe we visited your house, maybe we didn't, I don't know. Um, but I rode around and passed out some flowers with him one time. And so uh, I'm just very thankful for the opportunity to be able to speak to you guys. I know I have a couple of youth over here too who I preach to on Sunday night, so thankful to be able to preach to the parents and the grandparents and the youth themselves this morning. And I ran across this joke as I was preparing for this week's sermon. I was like, well, it'll, it'll make it light. So here we go. The story is told about a pastor that got up in the pulpit and apologized for a band-aid on his face. He said, I was thinking about my sermon while shaving and cut my face. So he, he gives the sermon and it goes on for quite a long time. And afterward, the treasurer found a note in the collection plate and it said, next time, think about your face and cut the sermon. Well, that was pretty funny. You won't have to worry about that with me this morning. Uh, I'll try to be pretty short-winded, but I'm going to open, open us up in prayer once more. Father God, I'm so thankful for this opportunity, as I've mentioned already, that, that I get to speak in front of these people, Lord. And I just pray that, God, I pray that you would clear our hearts and minds of distractions. That you would allow this, this word to lay heavy on our hearts. That it would bring life change about. And like Jern said, God, I pray that you would hide me deep in your cross. Lord, that they wouldn't see me up here, God, but they would hear you, hear your word. I'm thankful. We're thankful. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have a quiz for you this morning. 
I want to know if any of you have heard a sermon about three men by the name of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If you have, raise your hand. A couple of you. Okay. Now, one of you who have heard a sermon from one of those three, from about those three guys, can you shout out the name that most people would know them by? Somebody. Boom! Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's just a little trivia for you right there. So, now I'm going to ask that question again. If you've heard a sermon or maybe even just the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, raise your hand. More hands up in the air. There we go. Now, so you know who we're talking about. So we're going to be in Daniel 3. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Daniel 3. And while you do that, I'm going to explain to you why they have why they each have two different names. So the reason why is because during their story in the Bible, the Babylonian exile was taking place. And what that was was the act of God giving Israel and other territories into the hands of the Babylonians. Why would God do that? Well, the Jews were uh, worshiping false idols and being disobedient. Basically, Everything that God commanded them to do, they weren't doing, and in fact, they were doing the opposite, so God gave them into the hands of King Nebuchadnezzar. We read in Jeremiah 27, verses 6 through 8, the Bible says, this is God giving a prophecy through Jeremiah, Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him and his grandson and his grandson's grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. But if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord until I have consumed it by his hand. So, during the Babylonian exile, God gave the the Israelites into the hands of the Babylonians, and then some of them were taken into exile into the land of Babylon. Not all of them, but some of them. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as well as Daniel, were part of those who were taken into the territory that is Babylon. Now, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were their Hebrew names. And their Hebrew names actually served a purpose to honor God. And so now that they were in the Babylonian territory where they worshipped Babylonian gods, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to change the fact that their names honored Yahweh, the God that you and I serve. So he changed them to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to honor the Babylonian gods. Now, none of you can say that you haven't learned something this morning. Here we go. I've done a little bit of my job. So throughout this story, we have a problem. And throughout a lot of the stories in the Bible, well, we have a problem. And the problem evolves as we go throughout the story, but it starts out with a problem at the very beginning. And I preached on Christians facing problems a couple weeks ago when I wrapped up the end of the year at Foster Street. I was mainly talking about suffering and and how we go through suffering, but I had a point about problems, and that was if you give your problem a purpose, it enables you to overcome the problem. So you have to give your problem a purpose. And here, 
we start out with a problem, so we have to give it a purpose. And that initial problem is jealous Chaldeans. I hope that's how you pronounce it. We have jealous Chaldeans. Now, Chaldeans were basically Babylonian citizens back then. They come from a little province that borders Babylon. And these people were pretty much the, the highly educated guys. Like Chaldeans were the people of the land who were astronomers and astrologists, very highly educated. Throughout the Babylonian exile, at the beginning, they were really known for the region that they come from. They were known from being from Chaldean. But then as the exile went on, they changed from more of a region classified people to like a social class. And so you have this social class of, of wise men who were astronomers and astrologers and whatnot. And so that's, that's a little bit of the background. They would assume roles in government, or they could if Nebuchadnezzar gave them to them. And Nebuchadnezzar would often call them into his quarters to interpret dreams that he may have had or something like that. Like, like these guys were smart. These guys were counseled by the, by the king. They counseled the king all as well with the Chaldeans. Well, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 49, it tells us that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put over some of the affairs of the province of Babylon. Why? because they were exiled to Babylon, and then all of a sudden, these guys proved to be more wise than the Chaldeans, than the wise men. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put over some of the affairs which the Chaldeans thought was their rightful spot to be. So we have jealousy where they think they're supposed to be. So we have jealous Chaldeans. This is a problem. In verse 8 through 12 in chapter 3, where we're at in Daniel, talks about the accusations that the Chaldeans make against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right before this, Nebuchadnezzar had set up a, a golden image. And any time anytime there was music played, didn't matter what you were doing, you were supposed to stop it, and you were supposed to bow down, and you were supposed to worship this golden image. So this was like serious. Whenever you hear music, get on your knees, worship this golden image. That's what Nebuchadnezzar set up. And of course, being the good Jews that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, they didn't bow down. And the Chaldeans saw that. Because obviously, they had to do it out in public one time. They caught them. So they got accused for not bowing down to idols and not worshiping Babylonian gods which is pretty ironic because you're telling me that they're not worshiping false idols and they're not serving other gods, yet the reason they're in exile is because they were worshiping idols and serving other gods. Pretty ironic. Like, if all the Jews would have behaved like this before they went into exile, they would have never been in exile. Like, why couldn't they act like this beforehand? I don't know. Either way... The Chaldeans take their accusations to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, and the king brings them to himself. And this is where we're going to pick up in Scripture. Daniel chapter 3, verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And I want to stop right there before we read more into the passage because I think there's a couple things that we can learn out of this thing. And the first point I want to make is that God's grace is greater than all temptation. God's grace is greater than all temptation. Because we read here that Nebuchadnezzar gives them a second chance to bow down to the image. Like before this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego might have been walking in the streets when they didn't bow down, and they just didn't bow down. They could have been in their homes when they heard the music playing, and they just wouldn't bow down. They could have been doing who knows what, and when they heard the music, they didn't bow down. At least one time, they had to do this out in public because the Chaldeans caught them not doing it. So if you can imagine being walking down the streets of Ashburn, all of a sudden music starts playing and everybody gets down on their knees and starts worshiping something except for three guys. And they keep on carrying on doing whatever it is they're doing. That would be super obvious, would it not? That would be like me saying, everybody bow your heads and pray, and I would bow my head and pray, and then all of a sudden one person in the room stood up and started praying very out loud with me. One, that would be very obvious. Two, nobody would probably get anything out of that prayer because everybody would be so confused. So this was a very obvious thing for them to be doing. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had some sort of, of statute where they were living, right? They were put over some of the affairs of the Babylonians. So not many people were going to say to them, like, dude, get down like you, you need to be bowing down while this music is playing and whatnot not many people are going to say that because they were men of statue but we must not forget that these guys were also Jews in the land of Babylon so if they were to get punished for something it would be more severe than the Babylonian would and I don't know how you get more severe than a burning fiery furnace like do you get double time in the burning fiery furnace? Either way, you're going to die. Um, maybe you get tortured before you go into the burning fiery furnace. I don't know. Either way, if you were a Jew and you got punished, your, your Judaism, your, your religion was going to make you more severely punished than not. And then, all of a sudden, they're in front of the king. Talk about some serious temptation to bow down but like I said we must remember that God's grace is greater than all temptation however these three men find themselves in the midst of the man who made the law 
who has the power to enact the punishment, and all of a sudden he's sitting there glaring down on them saying, if you're ready to do this, well and good, but if not, fiery furnace. And so I have a question this morning, and it's how many times will it take before you give into temptation? Because we know that that God's grace is greater than all temptation, but how many times are you going to hang out with that, that group of friends that's a bad influence before you give in? How many times are you going to go to that bar or restaurant before you give in to a temptation? How intense does the temptation have to be before you give in to it? God's grace is greater than all temptation. And the only way to escape that temptation is by leaning into that sufficient grace. The only way to combat standing in front of the king level temptation, the most severe temptation you can probably face because you know that if you don't do it, you're getting thrown in a fire. The only way to combat that is leaning on the sufficient grace of Christ. And then number two, I think we can learn that we need to prioritize the powers we submit to. You have to prioritize the powers that you submit to. I mean, talk about a, a turn or burn situation, right? Like, like we, we joke around with that about how, you know, sometimes preachers preach fire and brimstone. They're like, turn or burn or you're going to hell. You know, stuff. talk about a turn or burn situation. Like, these guys had nowhere to go. Like, they could either turn from the king and, and not bow down to the golden image and all of a sudden they would get thrown into the fire and completely burnt up like they were going to die. Or, on the other hand, let's say they turn from God and they, they bow down to the image. Well, then they could potentially spend eternity burning. Like, were they, were they, going, to choose, were they going to choose burning up until death or were they going to choose burning and burning and burning and burning and yet still never dying? Like, which power are you going to submit to? We have to prioritize that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give a good example as we find out. And then we come to this instance of Nebuchadnezzar poking the bear. I love that, that reference, poking the bear. And I thought I was one who liked to instigate things. Like, I love being an instigator, especially between two other people. Like, it's fun. But Nebuchadnezzar pokes like the capital B bear. Like, Nebuchadnezzar's poking the, the bear. He looks at God and he said, And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Now, keep in mind that in chapter 2, verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar says, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. For you have been able to reveal this mystery. He says that to Daniel after Daniel interprets one of his dreams that no one else in the land was able to interpret. So Nebuchadnezzar gave God some power, but not full power. And like I said, I, I, used, I thought I was an instigator. I thought I loved instigating things if there's ever a point in time to where I can instigate something between two people for my own entertainment you best believe I'm going to do it like if I can get two other people riled up at each other 
and then just sit back and watch, that's some of the best entertainment you can have. Amen? But we see Nebuchadnezzar as quite the poker of the bear. And then point number three before we move on. Your faith must be fervent. Your faith must be fervent. And here is the main thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the next section of Scripture. I want to reread verses 17 and 18 for you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to Nebuchadnezzar, If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if God wasn't going to save them, they weren't going to stray. Their fear of God was greater than their fear of man. And here's what I mean by that. When I say their fear of God was greater, their, their respect for the sovereignty of God and their confidence in God was greater than any sort of punishment or death that man could enact upon them. Their faith was fervent. Make sense? Even if God didn't save them, they weren't going to stray. Are you going to continue to have faith even if God doesn't deliver the way you want Him to this side of heaven? If God doesn't deliver some of your wants and what you think are some of your needs this side of heaven, is your faith going to remain in Him? How will it affect your relationship with Christ if you don't get some of these things? I want you to think about something right now. I want you to think about something that you've been, you've been praying for passionately over the past month, maybe two, maybe a year. One thing that you've been, that you've been praying about that you, that you want or that you feel like you need, one thing. Now, if you have that thing in your head, I want you to think about this. What if that want or what you think is a need or need does not come in time? What if it doesn't come at all? What if God doesn't deliver on that? Will your faith and confidence in Him remain? Your faith must remain fervent. He doesn't call us to have conditional faith. He calls us to have faith. Not conditional faith, but faith. Paul, write, Paul writes about Abraham in Romans 4. He says, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And this was, of course, talking about Abraham having a baby at 100 years old. And then during the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says not to be anxious. Jesus knows your needs. And if you seek Him first, He will add all your needs to you. So are your needs really what you think your needs are? Do not be anxious because Jesus will give you the needs of your heart as long as your faith is fervent. Shadrach, Meshach, 
and Abednego said, even if God lets us burn up, that's better than worshiping some other God. Wow. Even if God lets us burn alive in this fiery furnace, I will not stray from having faith in Him. Wow. Those guys had some fervent faith. And then we move on to verses 19 through 23, which basically explains the severity of the fire. Like, after these guys... After these guys were brought into the king's quarters and they had their little discussion with Nebuchadnezzar, uh, they, they don't bow down. They refuse to bow down. They're like, we're going to go in the fire before we bow down to this golden image. And so this is a direct slap in the face to Nebuchadnezzar. I love it. Like, like these guys aren't no longer just not obeying him out on the streets and in their homes and and being the only three guys to not bow down when the music starts playing, like, they're no longer doing this behind his back. Like, they're looking him in the eyes, and they're like, you know what? We're not doing it. That is a slap in the face and a half. And so you can imagine, if I were Nebuchadnezzar II, I would be pretty ticked off. So he orders this fire to be heated up seven times more than normal. Seven times. When Nebuchadnezzar orders them to be thrown in the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego obviously had to be led in there or else they weren't just going to jump in by themselves. It says that the fire was so hot that, that the guys who led them to the fire and threw them in burnt up. Like, this is a hot fire. Not only that, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were bound in all their clothes and tunics and stuff like this. Like, there was no fighting back. Like, they weren't going to get to the get to the entrance to the fiery furnace and then throw the other guys who were leading them in and then get away. Like, they were bound up. Not only that, but when they got in the fiery furnace, there was no way they were going to get out. They were bound up. These guys were Texas toast. Yum. I have a, I have a story about, about hot fires. There's never a good story about hot fires, unless it's about s'mores, I don't know. If you own chicken houses, you know that every so often, and this takes a long time, you have to replace the cool cell pads in the chicken houses. Maybe some of you resonate with this, maybe not. It's about a hot fire. Everybody loves fire. Anyways, you have to burn these cool cell pads. I don't know what they do, but you can burn them. You have to replace them, and you got to get rid of them somehow, so you burn them. So we're burning. This is years ago. I hope this is legal. I don't even know. Um... So we're, we're burning these cool cell pads, and I'm telling you, this, these, there's, I don't know, five chicken houses where we were doing this at. So there's a lot of cool cell pads, and these things are like six foot tall, and they're like a rectangle like this big, but usually they're pretty light, so you can like stack them together and carry them, you know, like a wall. And so this, this fire was getting rather large and rather hot because it was a ton of like cardboard pretty much burning. And so I pick up my stack of cool cell pads, boom, and I make a wall. So obviously I can shield myself from this raging fire. So I carry these things over to the fire, shielding myself from the fire. And when I throw them in, I soon realize just how close I am to the fire. Why? Because I no longer have the shield in front of me. All of a sudden, I hear my arm hair start singeing. Talk about an experience. 
like I was all of a sudden exposed to this fire, realized how close I was, my arm hair starting to singe, and I start running away. And honestly, it don't sound that bad, but until you hear the own hair, your own hair on your body start singeing from fire that you're not even in, I'm still standing a couple feet away from this thing. Until you experience that, and I pray none of you do, but until you experience that, like, I say it was one of the craziest things that's ever happened in my life, and that sounds pretty dull, like, I, you know, whatever, but, like, when you hear your own arm hairs get singed from a fire, whoo, it's pretty crazy, guys. I, y'all are downplaying it. This is crazy. This is crazy. At least give me something because I feel like this is crazy than I think it was, whatever. <laughs> but verse 24, so they get thrown into the fire, super hot, hotter than cool cell pads probably. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He said and answered, But I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of of the gods. And so we have another point here. Although there is a fire, you are not forsaken. Although you may be going through a fire, you are not forsaken. Wait. You're telling me that God went into the fire with them voluntarily. I don't know if it was God, I don't know if it was Jesus, I don't know if it was the Holy Spirit, I don't know if it was an angel of the Lord. Regardless, there was a fourth in the fire. So are you telling me that you telling me that, that God goes with us into our fires too? Why? Yes. Deuteronomy thirty one six says that the Lord will not leave you nor forsake you. He's talking to the Israelites at this time. The Lord will not leave you or forsake you. Again in Joshua one verse 5, he tells Joshua, I will not leave you or forsake you. And so I have a a pretty simple question for you this morning. Other than leaving the 99, would a shepherd leave his sheep? Would a father leave his son? Or his children? And so we can be confident. We can be confident that the Holy Spirit that was given to us that day at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit goes with us into the fires of our lives. And I don't care what that fire of your life looks like, the Holy Spirit is going to go into that fire, into that season of life with you, and He is going to be with you in that fire. Not only that, but I guarantee you that all the struggles that you are going through, there is somebody in the room who has the same struggles as you do and you just may not know it. There are people surrounding you in your fire that can help you out of it, that's maybe been there and can pull you out or y'all are in there together and y'all can work together to get out. But do not forget that even when you have company in the fire with people in this room, with people outside these walls, with people that you actually know, that you are not alone even with those people, but you have the Holy Spirit with you in the fire because although there is a fire, you are not forsaken. 
and I'm going to make this comparison to a big brother. We love big brothers. So big brothers are always looking out for you, right? If you have a big brother, or maybe you are a big brother, you know that you look out for your little brother. Or if you have a big brother, you know you're always looked out for. Big brothers are always looking out for you. Big brothers always have your back. Big brother is always there when, when you call. Even when you don't call, sometimes big brother is there because he can sense that something is wrong. Big brother may be the best person to call when there's a time of trouble because he can help you sleep it under the rug with your parents. Big brother is probably one of the best people that you can have in your life. And, and all examples have their limitations because not all of us have good relationships with our big brother. Sometimes big brothers can pick on you or beat you up to the point that where you, all the good things that big brother does is evened out by all the bad things big brother does. Like, you get it? But the Holy Spirit is like way better than a big brother. Take all the good attributes of a big brother, put them on the Holy Spirit, multiply it by 10, there, there it is. There's your Holy Spirit. Because although there is a fire, you are not forsaken. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace and declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. I love, I love pieces of scripture like this because just the verse, just the verse before that, he says he sees four men. But then when he goes over there, he calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So either this fourth man had disappeared or Nebuchadnezzar was so scared of this fourth man and how he found his way into the fire, he didn't even want to call him out of the fire. I find that stuff hilarious. Why, why he only called three out instead of the four who, he's, who he claims he saw in there. Anyways, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of the fire had come upon them. That's incredible. The hair of their heads were not singed. Not only that, but there was no smell of fire upon them. I've been around a, liar, a lighter and I've smelt like fire. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. And here's the last point. Your persecution can become others' praises. Let me qualify that. What I mean by that is people aren't going to praise because you're going through persecution. That's not what I mean. When I say your persecution be can become others' praises, means when you come out on the other side of persecution or on the other side of hard times, you should be able to lead others to praising. Just look at this. Right before this, Nebuchadnezzar 
is literally mocking God and poking bear. He says, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And now all of a sudden he is saying, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their persecution brought Nebuchadnezzar to a place of praising. And I think that our persecution can bring others to praising God as well. And I know that, that we don't experience persecution like they did back in the day, like there are no fiery furnaces anymore, especially in little old Randolph County. Like we, if any, barely ever experience any kind of persecution whatsoever due to our faith. We don't experience it anymore, but we do have hard times. And our attitude in those hard times matter. When we have a right attitude and a confidence that remains in God, only then can your persecution or your hard times bring praise about in others once you come out on the other side. But only with a right attitude and a posture of praise. Can your persecution become others' praises? And if you read on in the story, band, you're welcome to come on up. If you read on in the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego get promoted. This goes to show that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose, like Romans 8 says. And if God has brought you into a season, a season of promotion lately, praise God for that. I love it when God brings his people into places of promotion. That happens often, and I praise God for that. But the main thing I want to leave you with today isn't about promotion. It's this, and I've touched on it. Regardless of whether God is going to pluck you from the fire or not, make sure your confidence remains in him. Make sure your faith remains fervent. Father God, we're so thankful for today. God, we're, thank you, we're, we're thankful for the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that can teach us, that can teach us so much. Lord, we, we got five points out of this. God, we know there's another five more, but Lord, we pray. We pray that our faith will remain fervent, that we know we're not alone in the fire. We pray that through hard times, God, that we can bring the praise about in others. Lord, I, pr I pray that this, this message would lay heavy on our hearts, Lord, that we can take these, these, these notes, these points, and we can apply them to our lives in order to bring about life change, in order to bring about life change in others. God, help us worship well in this time.